of the book of Matthew, verse 27, we find where two blind men followed the Lord. And they cried unto the Lord and said, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. They followed him into the house, and Jesus asked them a question. He said, Believe ye that I'm able to do this. They immediately replied and said, Yea, Lord, which is the same thing as saying, Yes, Lord. He asked them this question. Believe ye that I am able to do this. That is what? To have mercy upon them, which I think it's clear that in that expression they were asking the Lord to heal them and give them their sight. They both were blind. They immediately answered. There was no hesitation. They believed that Jesus Christ was able to heal them. He was able to open their eyes. He was able to give their sight back to them. So I'm going to ask myself the question this morning and ask you as well. Do we believe that Jesus is able? Do we believe that Jesus is able to do this? And to do this may mean one thing to you, another thing to me. It can change as we go along the journey of life. We face one thing right after another. We need to ask ourselves the question. Do we believe that the Lord is able to do this? Is the Lord able to help us? Is the Lord able to deliver us? Is the Lord able to strengthen us? Is the Lord able to direct us and to guide us and to deliver us? Is he, is he able to do those things? That was the question. I hope we can answer without hesitation like the two blind men did. They said, yea, Lord. And Jesus Christ said, be according to your faith. And their eyes were immediately opened. In the sixth chapter of the book of Daniel, you'll find that a decree had been put out by the king that for a span of 30 days, no one was to make a petition of any god whatsoever or any man except the king himself. The Bible says when Daniel knew the decree had been signed and the penalty for violating this was you'd be cast into a den of lions. When Daniel knew the decree had been signed, we find where Daniel went in and he opened up the windows where he stayed and he bowed down three times a day and prayed to God just like he always had. He didn't make any changes. He didn't compromise. He didn't adjust. He just did exactly as he always did. I'm totally convinced he did this because he wanted to be sure no one would even think that he would compromise. They brought it to the king's attention that Daniel was violating the decree. The Bible says that the king was very displeased with himself because he thought a great deal of Daniel. He was displeased with himself and set his heart upon a way to deliver Daniel. But he couldn't do it. He's a king. He's the earthly king. He's got more power than anyone else. But because the decree was signed by him, it was irreversible. He could find no way whatsoever to deliver Daniel. He couldn't do it. So he goes to Daniel. He says unto Daniel, he says, the God whom you serve continuously. And I want you to notice that expression. The king had paid attention to Daniel and noticed Daniel served God continuously. He was not just one day a week in his service to the Lord. He served the Lord continuously. 
each and every day. The God whom thou servest continually, he shall deliver thee. So they put Daniel to the den of lions. That night, the king did not sleep. He thought a great deal of Daniel. He was displeased with himself. He, he could not find a way to deliver him. He didn't sleep that night. But early the next morning, he goes and he inquires. And notice what he says this time. He didn't say, I'm sure your God has delivered you. He says, it's the God whom ye serve continuously, able to deliver thee. And Daniel said, live on, O king. He said, the Lord sent his angel this night and shut the mouth of the lions. And I'm okay. Now, the king wasn't really familiar with the God of Daniel. He said to begin with, the God whom you serve, not the God whom we serve, but the God whom ye serve, shall deliver thee. But when he came right down to it, there was doubt in his, in his mind. When he, he got there and he says, is the God whom ye serve continuously able to deliver you? And Daniel said, live on, O king, all is well. Earlier, you'll find in the third chapter of Daniel... Where that was King Darius, and we come back over in the third chapter to King Nebuchadnezzar, and you'll find where he put out a decree, and he built a, a gigantic image, and any time he caused musical instruments to be played, everybody was to bow down and worship that image. But there were three boys called the Hebrew children who would not do that. They wouldn't do it. And you see, the Hebrew children in Daniel were not natives. Uh, they had been brought into Babylonian captivity, but because they were exceptional, you go back to Daniel chapter 1, because they were exceptional, they'd been placed in positions of authority, and now I know a little bit about human nature. I've had to carry one around with me a long time. I have seen it in operation many times. I've observed human nature from a distance. I've observed human nature up close. I know what human nature is. And don't tell me there wasn't a lot of envy and jealousy among the Babylonians when they saw these coming from a foreign land who had been placed in positions of authority. So they go to the king and they inform the king there's these three Hebrew children and they're not bound down to your golden image. And the king was upset. And the king went to them. And gave them another opportunity, but they would not do it. He said, I'm going to put you into a, a burning, fiery furnace here. And then, what God is that that shall deliver you? That's his question. Here's the answer. The Hebrew children said, we're not careful to answer thee, O king. You've asked a question, we're going to give you the answer. We're not careful to answer thee, O king. Our God, whom we serve... Separate from the gods of the Babylonians, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now notice there's two deliverances here. There's the, the being delivered from the fire furnace and being delivered from the hand of the king. Now the Hebrew children said our God is able to deliver us from the fire furnace. They didn't say he would, they said he's able to do so. But they said, he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king, because, see, if it wasn't the Lord's will to deliver them out of the fiery furnace and they were consumed and they died, they'd just go be home with the Lord in glory and they'd be out of the hand of the king. On the other hand, if he delivered them out of the fiery furnace, they'd be delivered out of the hand of the king because he would prove he had more power than that king did there. 
So that's how they answered them. See, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter, O king. Our God is able. Well, the king didn't like that answer. So the king put him into the fiery furnace. And we find the next morning the king looked down and he, he had this observation. He said, did we not put three in there? But I see four. And one is likened to the Son of God. And he, and he was there to protect those Hebrew children. He was their shield. Now what do we have here in this story that I want to see as we move along here? We have the subject of fear, do we not? They tried to use fear to, keep, to make Daniel uh, pray to a false god. They wanted to use fear to keep the Hebrew children in line for them to bow down to that image. They wanted to use fear. But the Hebrew children and Daniel believed in their God. And they trusted their God. And they knew their God was able. They didn't know what his will would be, you know, uh, ultimately. But they trusted in him. And either way, they were not going to compromise and fall down to a false god and a false idol. We're not going to do it. Now the king miraculously here, the God of heaven, I believe, revealed unto him that this fourth one was the Son of God and the smell of smoke was not on their clothes and the hair of their head was not singed. And they were delivered out of there and praise came to God. That reminds me of the 78th Psalm when he said, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee and the remainder of wrath shall he restrain. Here, the wrath of man is praising God. Praising God. I come to 1 Samuel chapter 17 in this familiar chapter in which we're going to find where David will do battle against Goliath. In the very beginning, we find where the Philistine army is on one hill and the Israelite army is on another hill. There's a valley in between. And the Philistines have issued out a challenge to the Israelites to send out a person to represent them. And they'd have a representative. And their representative was Goliath to send somebody out and they would do battle. And whoever lost would represent you know, representing the Israelites or the Philistines, then they would have to serve that, the one that was victorious. Nobody would go. They were fearful. But here comes David along. And David asked the question. He says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And David says, I'll fight this Goliath, this Philistine giant. And Saul says unto David, I think it's about verse 33, if I'm not mistaken. He says to David, he said, Thou art not able. Wrong. Thou art not able because you're just a youth. And he's a mighty warrior. Goliath was a literal giant. He was between nine and ten foot tall. His sword and everything was far heavier than a normal man could even lift, lift, much less use it in battle. He was that strong and powerful. Thou art not able. Here's David's response. He says, when I was back in Bethlehem, I was watching my father's sheep. He said, a lion come along and tried to take a lamb out of the flock. And then a bear came along to take a lamb out of the flock. And he says, I slew the lion and I slew the bear. And God who delivered me, notice he gives God the glory. And God who delivered me out of the hand of, uh, you know, the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion shall deliver me from this un circumcised Philistine giant. Now David was not able in his own power and own strength. I want you to get this. He was not able by himself. Saul was right from the standpoint, if you look at him from a strictly from a human perspective, he was right. But Saul's eyes never looked up. 
Saul never looked up. He only looked out. And that's the problem that I have sometimes. I find myself looking out more than I do looking up. And when I look out and see the circumstance of life, it can cause me to be fearful. But I need to be looking up. I need to be looking up. David was looking up. Saul was just looking out. Nobody had volunteered. Saul, who was head and shoulders above all men. Saul was no small man by any stretch of imagination. He was taller. He could be spotted in a crowd of people from a great distance. He was a large man statue-wise, but he didn't have the heart of David. He didn't have the heart of David. David was confident that God would be with him. And we all know the story. How that David went out with a five smooth stones and a sling. He took one of those five smooth stones. He slung it, found the forehead of the giant and slew the giant and won a great victory. Saul was wrong. David was able, not in his own power, not in his own strength, but he was able through the power and strength that God would give him. God would give him. In the fourth chapter in the book of Nehemiah, and uh, you know, the book of Nehemiah is a story where the Babylonians had come and taken Israel, the majority of the Israelites into captivity, and they had burned down the gates, had broken down the wall. It was just disaster. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king in which he was a, a captive. And he heard the report of what had happened, and it grieved his heart. And he prayed to God, and several months went by. And here's a lesson on prayer. Several months go by, you read the prayer of Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1. Several months go by and there's no response from God. But then you come to Nehemiah chapter 2 and you'll find one day Nehemiah came into the presence of the king. And the king looked on his face and his countenance and says, Why art thou sad, O Nehemiah? And it tell you, you were running a high risk if you came before the king without a smile on your face. King didn't want people around him that looked sad and looked dejected. He wanted people around him looking like Disneyland employees. Have you ever been to Disneyland and seen anybody frown that worked there? <laughs> or any major amusement park? If you can't smile, you don't have a job. And the king wanted somebody around him like that all the time. But see, Nehemiah was faithful in his duties. A cupbearer was somebody who drank the wine and ate some of the food before it ever got to the king because people were always trying to kill the king. Nothing's really changed. And if something, somebody poisoned the wine, poisoned the, the food, uh, Nehemiah, the cupbearer, obviously it would be seen in him. He'd get really sick. He might would even die. He was willing to put his life on the line to protect the king. We find the Bible says, And Nehemiah prayed. No details given in this prayer. Because it's what I call the emergency prayer. It's what I call the instantaneous prayer. It's when you don't have time, uh, you know, to do a whole lot of thinking, but you've got, you got to some time to do a whole lot of praying real quick. And the Lord opened up the door for Nehemiah. And we'll go into all the details here in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, but it's amazing the providence of God is seen unfolding here in Nehemiah's life. And Nehemiah gets leave of absence. And he gets letters of authority. And he gets all kind of support from the king to make the trip the long, long trip back to Jerusalem to try to rebuild the walls and hang the gates. And you come to chapter 4, and you'll find where they've been laboring to do that. And then there's the enemy. Chapter 4 is a picture here of the adversaries of the Lord's people. And you'll find where the enemy, and it was Tobiah and Sambalot, were the two names of the leaders of the opposition against Nehemiah. 
And they start making fun of Nehemiah and everybody. They, they, they ridicule them. They say, shall they gather the stones out of the rubbish? Shall they make an end of all of this? And Tobiah said, wow, even if a fox went up and put his paws on the wall, they'd come tumbling down. The Bible says Nehemiah turned and prayed to God. And they continued to work. He said, because the people had a mind to work. Oh, how wonderful it is, uh, you know, when we can see in, in the lives of each one of, in our church family right here. When I can see it, but you can see it. And people have a mind to work, have a mind to labor. They're, they're dependable, they're responsible. And you can count on them. They, they're going to be here. When the doors are open, they're going to be here. And whatever's in front of the church to take care of, they're going to be here and put their shoulder to the wheel and labor together. Said the people had a mind to work. Before you ever going to work, you've got to have a mind to work, right? They had a mind to work. And when Sambalat and Tobiah saw what was going on and these people continued and, and their ridicule and their making fun of them didn't work. The mockery didn't work. They got more serious and they conspired. And they come up with a plan which they were going to try secretly to enter in among them and to slay them. But the Bible says, Nehemiah turned to the Lord. Nehemiah practiced what we call neology. Oh, Nehemiah had great theology, I tell you that. But, ne but Nehemiah had great neology. He spent a lot of time on his knees. He's a man of prayer. And he got the people together. And he put a sword in one hand, put a, a trial in the other, where they could both work and also defend themselves. And it was revealed unto them what the enemy's plot was. But then, one of their own, a man by the name of Judah, came to Nehemiah and says, the, 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 bear, the, bear, you know, the burden of the bears is, is heavy. And says, there's so much rubbish around here. He says, we are not able to build the wall. Wrong. We're not able to build the wall. Nehemiah reminded them of something really important. He says, remember this, our God is great. Uh, that's why I want to remind you of on a regular basis. Your, your God is great. Our God is great. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Our God is great. He said, remember that. And fear them not. The expression fear not is found 344 times in the Bible. wonder why it's in there so often. 344 times the expression fear not is found in the Scripture. But every time you find the expression fear not, just keep reading because the very next verse will tell you why you should not fear. Satan and the world's always trying to use the tactic of fear upon the Lord's people. Again, they set a watch. And while those, those were watching, others were laboring. They were building the wall. And the wall that Judah said, we be not able to build, he go to chapter 6, and he built it in 52 days. The wall was finished in 52 days. But what did they have to overcome? Fear. Our text in Isaiah 26.3, well, our, our, our verse this period of time, that shall keep him in perfect, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. But Nehemiah was a great leader. Nehemiah knew where his power come from. He knew where his strength come from. He already had experience. He relayed that experience, how he was able to get down there, you know, uh, and re receive 
uh, leave of absence and everything just to get down there where they were at to begin building the wall back. And they got the wall built back and the gates rehung under Nehemiah and Ezra's leadership. Fear. This is what they had to overcome in each one of these cases thus far that we've taken a look at. And I'm going to take a look at a, a story, just a highlights of a story, an event that took place. It's recorded three times in the Old Testament. It's a right lengthy event. It's found in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. It's found in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. And then there's a shorter version found in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Why in the world would this story, why in the world would this historical event be recorded in three different books in the Bible and such a lengthy, such lengthy details given about it? Well, let's just take a look at it just for a little bit. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah is the current king of Judah. The you know, they have the northern kingdom, they have the southern kingdom. And you'll find as you begin to read chapter 18, where the king of Assyria, and the Assyrians were a mighty people in this particular time. They had gone from one place to another, conquering every nation. Every nation they came in contact with, they would conquer them. They had a mighty army. You know, you might wonder sometimes why it was that Jonah was so hesitant to go to Nineveh and preach. And Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And if you study history and study the Assyrians, you'll find that they were very barbarous people. I mean, of the worst kind in nature. I would not begin to tell you publicly here this morning what they would do to people when they took them captive. When you understand that, you can understand why Jonah didn't want to go there. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew how they were. He certainly didn't want to see them spared and see them repent. That's why he got so upset when God did it. But nevertheless, the Assyrians have captured Samaria, which is the capital city of Israel, the northern kingdom. And then they moved down south to Judah with the objective of taking Judah and Hezekiah and them captive. Take a look at verse 29. I've skipped a lot of information. I'm giving you the highlights. Thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah deceive you. For he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria knew enough about Hezekiah to know that Hezekiah indeed would try to get God's people to look to the Lord for their help and their deliverance. He says, Don't allow Hezekiah to do that, for Hezekiah is not able to deliver you. And when he says, and let him not deceive you in trying to get you to trust in the Lord, what he's really saying is, Hezekiah plus the Lord will not be able to deliver you. Verse 33, he asked the question, Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Well, the answer that's clear. No, no, no nation was able to resist them. Verse 35, who are they among all the gods, little gods, of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand? See, he doesn't know the God of Israel or the God of Judah. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, 
Answer him not. You move into chapter 19. Came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. That was a good decision. He did what I need to do. He did what you all need to do. We need to rent our clothes, not necessarily physically, but in a spiritual manner. We need to rent our clothes. That was always a sign of sorrow, a sign of repentance. He rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Here's where you'll find the answers, brothers and sisters, in the house of the Lord. And he sent Elikim, which was over the household, of Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble, of rebuke, and blasphemy. For the children have come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of this king of Assyria, and will reprove his words. That's what Hezekiah was hoping. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. He said, Isaiah, pray for us. He had a good man there, didn't he? <laughs> I wouldn't mind having Isaiah pray for me. So he went to the house of the Lord, and he sent word to Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah said unto them, verse 6, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. That's God's response. We find the king of Assyria is just like Satan. He never gives in and never gives up easily. Let's come to verse 10. He sends his messenger back, says, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, whom thou trusted to see thee, say, Jerusalem shall not be delivered in the hand of the king of Assyria. He's saying unto Hezekiah, Don't believe God. Don't believe God. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? You think you're going to be the exception? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed? Then he names them. Then we come to verse 14. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. <laughs> He's back in the house of the Lord, isn't he? <laughs> it's always good to come back to the house of the Lord. <laughs> when you leave here, you look forward to the next opportunity and you come back to the house of the Lord. Here's where you receive strength. Here's where you receive encouragement. Here's where you receive answers. So he goes back and he spreads it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Lord, open, Lord, mine eyes and see and hear the words of this king which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, he says, the kings of Assyria had destroyed the nations and their lands. That is true. And have cast their gods into the fire, for there were no, they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they've destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save us out of his hand, and all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. He realizes their salvation is in the hands of God, and that's the only, only place he can go to. I'm, I'm going to just say this much this morning. Our nation's in serious trouble. There's only one source of help, only one source of salvation for this nation today. It's in the hands of God. It's in the hands. If you've ever prayed for your country, you need to be praying for it now.
That's what Hezekiah is doing. Therefore, O Lord our God, save us out of this hand, and all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Here's the answer. That which thou hast prayed to me against the king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. Come down to verse 27. But I know thy abode, and thy going out, thy coming in, thy rage against me. He's talking about the king of Assyria. Because thy rage against me, and thy tumult is coming to mine ears. Therefore I'll put my hook in thy nose, and my bridle in thy lips. And I'll turn thee back by the way which thou camest. Verse 34. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Syrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpse. That's like saying wet water, isn't it? <laughs> dead corpse, is there any other kind? <laughs> they were all dead corpse. I don't know exactly why they didn't just say they're all dead, all corpse, but they're all dead corpse. It's just like saying again, wet water. Everybody knows water's wet, but sometimes we have to make it plain to people. <laughs> and it came to pass, as he was worshiping the house of Nishrach, his God, his son smote him with the sword. His own sons killed him. Just exactly what the Lord said was going to happen. What did Hezekiah have to overcome? He had to overcome fear. This king was intimidating. This king, he, he, every place he went, he was victorious. Every nation he did battle against, he conquered. There was none that could stand up against him. So Hezekiah went to the house of the Lord and took it to the Lord. And that's what we need to always do. As individuals, as families, as a church. Go to the house of the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Put, it, put our trust in him. The Lord hurt. See, the Lord is jealous for his people. The Lord is jealous for his house. The Lord is jealous for his church. He will defend her. I'm confident about that. Do you believe that I'm able? Is the question. The Lord asked those two blind men. Do you believe that I'm able? They said, yea, Lord. <laughs> no hesitation. The Hebrew children says, for we are able. No hesitation. Reminds me, you go over to the uh, 13th chapter of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 13, you'll find where Israel, who had been delivered out of Egyptian bondage across the Red Sea, have come to a place called Kadesh Barnea, about an 11-day journey. And now they, what stands between them and Canaan land is a, a, a relatively small body of water called Jordan's River. I've seen it. Jordan's River. But they send 12 spies into the land. And the spies come back. They spent 40 days in the land. They come back after 40 days, 12 of them. And Caleb speaks up first. And he says, we be well able to take the land. Not just able, we be well able. Caleb wasn't speak, speaking about taking it in his own power, his own strength. You'll see that later. But then whoever was the spokesman for the ten, maybe all ten spoke. They said, we be not able. In their own strength, they was correct. 
But they didn't look up. They only looked out. They only saw the great walled cities. They only saw the giant. Now, all 12 was in agreement that the land was fruitful, the land was bountiful, the land flowed in milk and honey. They all agreed on that. And they all agreed there were giants in the land. They all agreed there was great walled cities in the land. But 10 of them says, people are stronger than we. We can't take it. We're not able. Caleb says, we're well able. <laughs> it's Caleb who's speaking here. Then Caleb and Joshua both speak. And they say, if the Lord delight in us, he will bless us to take the land that flows with milk and honey. If the Lord delight in us. You see, they realize they can do it. We're well able if the Lord delights. If the Lord gives us the power. If the Lord gives us the strength. He promised the land. Why do you think Canaan is called the promised land? Because <laughs> it was a land God promised to give them. When they came out of Egypt, he promised to settle them into the land of Canaan. He promised to go before them. He promised to drive out the enemy before them. He promised to drive those nations out and to settle them and plant them in that land. It's called the promised land. But the people listened to the ten. Fear. The Lord was so displeased, he told Moses, he says, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to send pestilence against them. I'm going to destroy them. And I'll make of you a greater and mightier nation than they. Now, a lot of people, if they was in Moses' shoes, might have thought, well, I like that. You're going to make a great nation out of me. But Moses didn't do that. Moses prayed to God on behalf of the Israelites. He prayed to God on their behalf. He said, Lord, he says, the enemy would just say, you weren't able to do it. See, the Lord knows all this, of course. He says, basically have mercy upon them. And so the Lord said, okay. He said, but everybody above the age of 20 will not go into that land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. They spent 40 days over there. I'm going to give them one year for every day. They're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. They'll march around till they all die. Their children... And they said, you brought our children out here to die in the wilderness. Their children will cross Jordan and they'll go into the land of Canaan. Along with Joshua and Caleb. And that's exactly what happened. When they got over there, Caleb comes to Joshua and he says, remember what the Lord said? See, with one thing you associate with Caleb is the word W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. Several times said, and Caleb, holy, follow the Lord. He, didn't, he wasn't a, a, just a part-time disciple. <laughs> we got too many part-time disciples. We got too many people who think the Lord's church is important, but it's no more important than a lot of other things in life. Caleb wholly followed the Lord. He put his heart into it. He gave it all he had. And God rewarded him by blessing him to go into Canaan's land and gave him a mountain. And he gave it to him on his 85th birthday. And Caleb said, I'm just as strong today as I was back then. You know, that's uh, kind of hard for me to think about. Uh, I'll have to admit, I'm not anywhere near that old, but I'm not as strong as I was when I was 20 and 25. But Caleb said, I'm just as strong as I was 40 years back. And he says, give me that mountain. He said, for I'm able to possess it. The Lord asked those two blind men, 
Do you believe that I'm able to do this? The Lord is able, isn't he? Now, Revelation 19 and 6 says, The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. That means omnipotent means he has all power. That's the only time that word's used, but it's on display throughout the scriptures. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, Paul tells Timothy, He in his own times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. That's the only time that word's used. It means how supreme authority. Karen's sisters or family who watches our, our uh, worship service every Sunday. I'm real thankful for them. They're great encouragers, by the way. And uh, her sister Trudy said, Today was Pastor, sent her text, says, Today is Pastor Appreciation Day. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but anyway. Today is Pastor Appreciation Day. And she says, I want to let you know that I appreciate Ronald and his knowledge of the Bible and we enjoy listening to them, words to that effect, every Sunday. So uh, I appreciate that, Trudy. I know you're listening. <laughs> All right. God is able, isn't he? The word, well, what I was going to say about that is, every once in a while when I say a word like potentate, they want to ask me, did you pronounce that right? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> but anyway, I appreciate that. So he is able. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I want to take a look at the last thing said in that verse. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. All that we ask or think. I thought about that the other day. Came to my mind. And I go over here to the sixth chapter of the book of Judges. There's a man over here named of Gideon. And the Lord calls Gideon, he's under the oak tree, threshing wheat by the wine, threshing wheat by the wine press under the oak tree. And he's going to call Gideon to bring Israel out of the bondage of the Amalekites. Gideon realizes in his own self he's not qualified and he's hesitant about all this. And he's like the rest of us, I suppose. He needs a little evidence. So we ask God for, for a sign, ask God for evidence. Here's what God told him. Well, actually, he asked God for a sign, and then he, here's, here's what he said to the Lord. He said, I want to put a, a piece of fleece out here on the ground tonight. And he says, tomorrow morning when it dews, just let it dew on the fleece and not in it, nowhere else. Isn't it something how God can direct the dew? How God can direct a, a, a raindrop? How God can direct an arrow? How God can direct anything he wants to direct. He directed that and due while it dewed enough the next morning, they took the fleece and wrung out, the Bible says, a bowl full of water. And everything else around it was dry. Have you ever heard it doing? <laughs> I've heard it rain, but I never have heard it doing. You know, you go out the next morning, the grass is just as wet as can be. You walk through it, get your shoes soaked. You didn't hear it at all the night before. Where'd it come from? And then Gideon says, well... He said, tell you what, Lord. He said, I'm going to put it out again tonight. And tonight, let the dew fall on the ground and just let the fleece be dry. The Lord said, okay. So he puts the fleece out. Next morning, not a drop of water on the fleece. Wet as can be on the ground all the way around. 
Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Right after that episode of, that Hezekiah had with the king of Assyria, you come to the next chapter, chapter 38 of Isaiah, or 2 uh, Kings, uh, Kings chapter 20. In fact, you need to go there for a couple of details. And you'll find why Hezekiah was not a death. And Hezekiah turned his back to the wall, got his house in order. And the Lord sent a message to him. He says, Hezekiah, I've heard thy prayers. I've seen thy tears. And unto thee I'll add 15 years. He extends the life of Hezekiah 15 years. Hezekiah asked for a sign that this that would happen. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, you want the sun to go down 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? Hezekiah said, well, that's a light thing for it to go down 10 degrees. That's just normal. He said, let's go, let it go back 10 degrees. The Lord said, okay. So, the Lord calls the sundial to go back 10 degrees. Is that omnipotent power or what? Right? Went back 10 degrees. Unto him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh there. That power that calls the sundial to go back 10 degrees works inside of you. It's creation power. It's resurrection power. Whatsoever we ask or think. Joshua, go to Joshua chapter 10. And in verse 12, you'll find where Joshua and them was in battle. And Joshua asked the Lord to cause the sun to stand still in the sky and the moon in the valley. The Bible says that the Lord caused the sun to stand still in the heavens and the moon in the valley for about a whole day. Never before then or since then has God hearkened to the voice of man like he did Joshua on that occasion. I understand that the earth rotates and revolves around the sun, giving us the impression the sun rises and sets. No matter what, the Lord calls the sun to just stay in one place. <laughs> in one place about a whole day, giving Joshua and the army of Israel enough time to avenge their enemies. Unto him... Unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God is able. Romans chapter 4, you'll find where it says concerning Abraham that he was not weak in faith but being strong in faith. It says, staggering not the promises of God, he was persuaded that he which had promised was able to perform the promise that had to do with him having a child when he was 100 years old. Abraham says, God's able. He blessed me to have a child when by nature I couldn't have one. I had a child when I was 100 years old. I tell you what, if God blessed us to have a child today, we'd have to have more help than that. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Well, where all the straight to take care of children went. When we try to keep the grandchildren, oh, I would love to have them, I'll tell you, but when the, when the day is over, you're wore out. <laughs> but it's a good wear out. You know what I mean? It's a good wear out. <laughs> and we used to have to tend to the children for them every single day. I mean, when Brother Curtis is three back there, you know, Brother Curtis, you got a lot to look forward to and all that. 
Oh, me. God is able to exceed and abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God is able to keep his promises. He kept his promise unto Abraham. And you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll find where Abraham, when God told him to go on top of a mountain, he would show him off his only son Isaac upon that mountain. The Bible says that Abraham did that accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead if necessary. In other words, when he went up there, we know he didn't have to eventually slay him. God told him to stay his hand and God provided a lamb caught by his thorns in the thicket who took the place of Isaac on the altar. But if God had not intervened and he had slayed his only son, he believed that God was able to raise his son back from the dead and keep his promise that through him and his seed all the nations of this earth should be blessed. I close sometime another day. I close <laughs> Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, we find about verses 23 through 25, where he's comparing the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ with the priesthood of the Old Testament. And the priests of the Old Testament were not permitted to continue for a good reason. They died. <laughs> they did the priest work until they died, and somebody else took the place. They continued to priest work until they died and somebody else took the place. It says, but this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath an unchangeable priesthood because he doesn't die, does he? In Revelation 1 and 8, 1 and 18, he said, I'm he that liveth, was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. So we got an unchangeable priesthood, do we not? And it says in verse 25, for he is able to save them to the uttermost. <laughs> is God able to save us? Is God able to deliver us from a burning hell to a home in glory? Is God able, my friends, to put our sins away as far as the east is from the west? Is God able to raise our bodies from the grave some sweet day when he comes back again, the end of time and the resurrection, second coming of Jesus Christ? And our bodies shall come forth from the tomb and reunited with our souls and spirits. you believe that today? Do you believe he's able to do that? I tell you, he's able to do it. He's going to do it. He's able to save us to the uttermost, which means all the way to the end. <laughs> Thank God he went a little further. Thank God he's always taken a step further than I can take it. You can take it. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which he's promised. He's promised to come again. He has promised to bring us home to be with him some wonderful and sweet day. That's what he told his disciples in John chapter 14, the opening verses. When he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I'd have told you so as places of abode, dwelling places. I'd have told you so. But I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you believe that he's able?